My name is Lamar Hardwick. I'm a husband, father of three, pastor, scholar, author, an all-around avid reader and lover of all things culture. And in 2014, at the age of 36 years old, I was diagnosed autistic. This is the Autism Pastor Podcast, where we discuss all things culture, politics, faith, religion, and theology, all through the lens of someone loving, learning, leading, while living with a disability. Welcome to the Autism Pastor Podcast. This is Lamar Hardwick, and you're listening to the Autism Pastor Podcast. And this is a season two bonus episode entitled When God Can't Bear to Watch. Now, this episode is actually a clip from a sermon I preached at my church, Tri-Cities Church in East Point, Georgia, the week following the horrific shooting that took place in Buffalo, New York. Now, since then, we have seen another tragic shooting in Uvalde, Texas. And although I've lived in Georgia for over 20 years, Texas is home for me. So that event hit close to home. If you're like me, you're constantly wondering how God responds to such tragedy. Well, in the Old Testament, God teaches a song to Moses that he wants Moses to teach to his people wandering in the wilderness. And the lyrics of that song point to the life that the people were building, a life that God admits that he can't bear to watch. As we continue to pray for the families of the victims of violence, let's reflect and remember on the idea that the life we're building may be one that is so violent that God struggles to watch because it's hard for God to watch the way we treat one another. So let's go to this sermon entitled, When God Can't Bear to Watch, Already in Progress. Deuteronomy 32, verse 19 and 20. I'm going to read from the message version because I like how it reads. This is a part of the song. This is really at the heart of the song. This is what it says. This is God teaching Moses the song to teach to the people. Here's a line. God saw it, it spun around, angered and hurt by his sons and daughters. He said, from now on, I'm looking the other way. Wait and see what happens to them. Oh, they're a turned around, upside down generation. Let me me read that again. Remember, this is God teaching a song. And in the song, he's referring to himself and saying, Moses, teach this song to the people. In this song, here's a verse of the song. God saw it and spun around, angered and hurt by his sons and daughters. He said, from now on, I'm looking the other way. Wait and see what happens to them. Oh, they are a turned around, upside down generation. Who knows what they'll do from one moment to the next. Listen to what God is teaching Moses to teach them. God was watching and he couldn't bear to watch any longer. So he turned around or he turned his face. He says, from now on, I'm looking the other way. Anybody ever had one of those situations where you watched a family member, a niece or a nephew or a child or, or a co-worker, somebody you were close to, and you knew they were making some 
bad decisions. You knew they were making bad choices. Come on now. You knew that. And maybe you even tried to talk to them and reason with them. And they continue to make bad choices. And it got to the point where you can't even watch anymore. So I, I can't watch you throw your life away like this anymore. It's not because I don't love you. It's not because I don't care about you. It's not because I don't have your best interests at heart. But let's be honest. Sometimes when we see people making the wrong decisions, okay, let's just bring it closer to home. Sometimes when we're making wrong choices, God is saying this is hard to watch. And one of the pivotal moments of the song is God saying to Moses, Teach this song, and I want them to know this verse line by line. Here's the line, Moses. You ready? You writing this down? I'm going to watch what they're doing, and there's going to come a point in time that it is so hard to watch that I just got to turn my face. He says, now you write that down, and you make sure they remember that, because when it hits the fan, I don't want them blaming me. I want them to remember the lyrics of this song and remember, I said, I told you so. So let me ask a question. How does God deal with disappointment? Because we love to talk about just a few of the emotional attributes that we see in scripture about God. Like we love to talk about how much God loves us and God does love us. And that is a great thing to talk about. But there are a range of emotions that we can find from God in scripture, we, we know this, that God's love is certain. However, he seems to display some other emotions besides love. In, in Psalm 37, it says that God laughs. One of my favorite scriptures. Now, I won't read the whole part of it because it talks about how he laughs at people who do wicked things that they don't. But it says that God laughs. There's even a scripture, I don't know if you knew this, in Zephaniah, it's probably, you didn't even know that was a book of the Bible, did you? <laughs> but it says that there's actually a verse in there that said that God rejoices over us with singing, that God sings over us. The same way we sing to God, that God, when he's happy with us, he sings over us. Also, we were, we're reminded in John eleven thirty five, the shortest verse in all the Bible, that God mourns. You remember this verse, Jesus wept. I already told you, we know that God loves because in John 3, 16, that's the verse that you remember. Some of us were taught it by Saul. And God so loved the world that he gave. We, we know also that God feels compassion because we can see that in Matthew 14, 14. And Psalm 104 shows us that God experiences excitement and he celebrates and rejoices that God gets excited about things. You know this. Come on now. Jesus even told a story about how when one sinner repents, God throws a massive party in heaven and angels are excited because God also displays the emotion of excitement and he celebrates. Then Exodus 4.14 4, also shows us that God experiences the emotion of anger. Then Exodus 34.14 even says that God can be a jealous God. Not jealous of you. You ain't got nothing God wants. <laughs> God is jealous for us. He wants us so bad that he, does, he can't stand to see us running after other things. But today's text shows us that God experiences disappointment. 
It's not all just about love and excitement and rejoicing and all that is true and all that is good. But God teaches this song to Moses to teach to the people. And the line I read to you shows us that God actually also experiences moments with his children, just like you experience with yours or with your sibling or with your coworker. God also experiences moments of huge disappointment in us. And in this song that God gave to Moses, God describes what disappointment feels like to him. I don't know that we often think about the fact that God can be disappointed. doesn't mean he doesn't love you, but God says, I can see where this is going. I can see what they're doing, and I am so disappointed, I can't even watch anymore. But we knew that, didn't we? Because when we read the story of Jesus being crucified on the cross, you remember this, it says that the sun even refused to shine. And it got dark. And Jesus on the cross, feeling the immense weight and pressure of God's disappointment because all of our sins were transferred to him, Jesus cried out when he felt God's disappointment because for him it felt like God had forsaken him. You remember this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because when God turns his face, that's what it feels like. I don't know that we've ever thought about this. God can be disappointed in the way that we behave. You go back, read the song when you get home. But the opening lyrics of the song sing of God calling the heavens and the earth to come together almost as though it's a court scene. God says, I'm calling the heavens and I'm calling the earth to stand at attention, to show up. And it reads like a court scene because God wants us to know, here's my case against you. And I need even the heavens and the earth to witness this, to see exactly how disappointing your behavior has been. Part of, I should warn you, part of what, what you probably need to know is that the song is pretty graphic particularly as it relates to Israel's consequences. And, but what we see is not a message that God hates us when we mess up, but rather we see a message in this song that God is deeply hurt when we mess up. So let me ask you another question. How often do we consider the ways we hurt God? So I know it's popular for us to air our grievances with God. Everybody's deconstructing, and I get it. Everybody's disappointed in God and the church, and I get it. There are some very valid reasons we should be disappointed with some of the things that the church has done over the years. And sometimes there are valid reasons when we get disappointed when we don't get what we want from God. It's okay to be disappointed, and, and that's a real part of our relationship with God. But when you're in a real relationship, you don't just concern yourself with how disappointed you are in the other party, you also at some point in your life have to be concerned with how disappointing you are to the other person. This is how God just spiritually punches Israel in the gut. Because you remember this, I talked about this last week. 
the whole journey out of slavery was a series of them expressing their disappointments in the way that God delivered them. Now what now? <laughs> you're, you're really going to complain about how I saved you? and You're really going to complain about how I delivered you? You're really going to complain about being in the wilderness when you were slaves just 30 days ago? And the whole journey was this idea that it is our job and to express how disappointed we are at God. And then God hits them in the spiritual gut by saying, yeah, but there's times where you disappoint me too. And God says, it got so bad I couldn't even watch. I had to turn my face. Now for us, that didn't mean a whole lot and we you know, if we're intellectually honest, we know that God is a spirit. God don't have a face. But in the biblical text, God's face meant something to the people of Israel. To hear the word that he had to turn his face was like a spiritual punch in the gut. Because for them, God's face was used to communicate God's favor and God's blessing on their life. You remember this. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 25 and 26, I'm going to read from the New Revised Standard Version. This is what God told Moses and Aaron to do to bless the people. We use it, if you grew up in a liturgical church, we use this as a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Because they understood that the presence of God's face meant the presence of God's favor and God's blessing on their life. So even if they weren't really feeling the first couple hundred verses of this long song, when he got to this verse, it meant something. Because wait a minute, when we came out of Egypt, one of the things that you promised us was your face would smile upon us. And now God's saying, yeah, but you disappointed me so bad, I'm not smiling anymore. And as I heard this, it caused them to pause. God's face was no longer smiling on them. It meant that they were in serious hot water. You ain't ever heard the phrase, he has or she has the patience of Job, which generally means that they put up with a whole lot of mess. <laughs> I often wonder why we don't we don't change the, that phrase and say they have the patience of God, because God has the tendency to put up with a whole lot of mess. But somehow, in this instance, God had had enough. I can't watch the stuff that you are doing and the, and the ways you are treating one another. It's just hard to watch. See, God turning his face is serious business. This is the ultimate sign of God's disappointment in his children. God says, I'm, I'm not smiling anymore. It used to be, you know how it is when a kid is a certain age and they do something and it's cute until it's not cute anymore. <laughs> Right, you're too grown to still be doing that. I wonder if that's what God thinks about us sometimes. Now, you've been a Christian 30 years. <laughs> you are too grown to still be acting like that. It used to be cute when you were a baby Christian, but it's not cute anymore, and I'm not smiling. God says, I got to turn my face. 
It also meant that if God would not show his face, that means that there's some things that we need to face. So let me say this. What happened last week in Buffalo is evil. We got to face the truth about the specific kind of evil it was. The same way that God couldn't bear to watch this song, the same way that God can't bear to watch us continue to be evil to one another. God looks away not because he hates us, but God looks away because it hurts you. We got to know what's at stake. That the specific evil it is, let's not generalize it, let's not play games, it's racist. God is saying to us the same way that he told the children of Israel, I'm not smiling. I can't bear to watch the ways in which we continually treat one another. I think God, even in this song, is that he taught to Israel is teaching this song to us so that we are reminded that there are moments in our lives where the things that we do are so heinous and evil that God can't bear to watch. He looks away. I think we have to realize what's at stake here because as Christians, we realize this, and I want to be very clear. We're secure in our faith. When we give our lives to Christ, we are secure in our faith. And I also want to be very clear that the grace is that we are received from God is not earned. It is by faith. That there's no fee that we can pay to earn God's favor. Yet, I believe we also have the tendency to overplay our hand. Just because salvation was free to you and I doesn't mean it didn't cost Jesus his life. And while we are eternally secure, make sure that you know that's what I'm saying. And while I'm not saying that we earn God's grace, have we gotten to a place where we started overplaying our hand just a little bit? And just because it's free to us, just because God's grace and favor and God's face smiling upon us didn't cost us anything, haven't we got to a place where we overplayed our hand because it's free to us, but it cost Jesus his life? Just because it didn't cost us anything doesn't mean there wasn't a cost. I think and I believe that God is looking away. The song of Moses, God gives Moses a lyric about why we do evil and why we do racist things. Listen to what he says in Deuteronomy 32, 
verse 15 and 17. And this time I'm going to read NLT. It says, But Israel soon became fat and unruly. The people grew heavy, plump, and stuffed. Then they abandoned God who had made them. They made light of the rock of their salvation. They stirred up his jealousy by worshiping foreign gods. And they provoked his fury with detestable deeds. They offered sacrifice to demons which are not God, to gods they had not known before, to new gods only recently arrived, to gods their ancestors had never feared. God says, here's why we do evil and racist stuff. Because we get full of ourselves. We overplay our hand. And what God is accusing Israel of, as he calls the heavens and the earth to stand before him, and he makes this charge against the children, as he tells them, you've done stuff that has hurt me so bad I can't watch. What he helps them to understand is part of the problem is, is that right in front of my eyes, you have tried to create a new faith system. Did you catch what he said? Right in front of me, you're starting to build up idols. You're not even waiting until my back's turned. You haven't even got to the promised land yet, and you're already trying to create a new faith system. He says, it's so bad, y'all coming up with idols and gods that never even existed. It'd be one thing if you were trying to go back to the worship that you were exposed to in Egypt. He says, y'all are so wicked, you're coming up with new stuff. I know this is a difficult sermon to hear, but I don't want us to continue to overplay our hand to the extent that we are like the lyric that God teaches Moses to teach the people. He says that they got fat and unruly and they grew heavy. He's not talking about their size. He's talking about the fact that just because he pulled them out of Egypt, they started, as my grandmother used to say, he's from the deep south, they started smelling themselves. <laughs> Some of y'all have the same grandmama. <laughs> Another way of saying that is they got too big for their bridges. How dare you forget the depths from which I brought you out of, Israel? Now you're over here in my face creating new gods and new faith systems, and we're not even anywhere close to getting into the promised land. You couldn't even wait until you got what God promised you before you started acting crazy. Israel was full of themselves, and they were forming a new faith system right in front of his eyes. And like the Israelites, I believe the reason why we do evil and we see the perpetuation of racist acts like we saw in Buffalo is because we've changed the stakes. We've tried to make something important that God never said was important. In other words, we have created idols and placed importance on stuff that God didn't say was important. In fact, I would dare to say that particularly in this country, right in front of God's eyes, right in front of Jesus, we created a new version of Christianity. One that somehow allows us, watch me, to have no concern about disappointing God. This is the new religion we have created. These are the idols that we have created as we're wandering in the wilderness. We've created a faith system where we can literally do whatever we want and not be concerned about how it disappoints God. This is the reason why we can be evil and we can be racist. 
because I don't care what God thinks. You know, there's a story in the New Testament. We know this one of the Good Samaritan. And I'm not going to tell the whole story because you know the story. But, but you remember the reason why Jesus had to tell the story is because a lawyer or it says an expert in the law was asking him, how do I get in on this eternal life thing? How do I make sure that I'm a good person? How do I make sure that I can publicly perform and make sure that everybody knows I'm good and I'm saved? How do I get in on this? And Jesus says to do what the law says. And he, you remember, he tells him what the law says. And he says, now, uh, another question, Jesus. Who is my neighbor? Can I make an astute observation about us? We love them poles, don't we? Like the lawyer, we try to figure out how close we can get to sin without actually crossing the line. And most of how we follow Jesus, listen to me, Consists of becoming experts at the things that we won't, don't want to do that he taught. Let me say that again. Most of how we follow Jesus in our day and age consists of us literally becoming experts at explaining why we don't really have to do what he taught. No, seriously, we literally have books and doctrines that have been created around the notion that I'm going to do as much study as I possibly can to find a way to get around this. You know, stuff like love your neighbor. You know, stuff like turn the other cheek, don't return violence for violence. We literally have created an idol right in front of God that says we're going to figure out a way that we can say that we're Christians without actually having to do the stuff that Jesus taught. Because we love loopholes, don't we? You know what's interesting about that story of the Good Samaritan when Jesus talks about the priest and the Levite and how they walk down the street? And, you know, we've, we've interpreted this in many ways. And it says, and oftentimes we equate it to, you know, there, there's an element to that that represents the church, that they saw a man who, who needed help and they passed by. And there's, there's a biblical precedent for understanding that there were, there were ritual laws and purity laws that, that didn't allow them to touch a dead body, and if he was really dead, that would have rendered them unable to be effective. But here's an observation I want to make that I think is true of us. The story of the priest and the Levite was that they weren't bad people so much as they were privileged people. What do you mean, Pastor? They belonged to a social class that was protected from having to actually practice the faith that caused them to actually be good to people. Here's what I'm saying. The reason why they could get away with nothing without doing anything is because socially nothing was going to be happening to them. Nobody would expect any less of them. In other words, they are part of a religious tradition where I could still call myself good and do no good. And they were so protected that they knew even if we don't help this person, nobody's going to look at us as being bad people. That's the idol we've built. Even if we don't do what God says, I can still consider myself a good person. But God's not smiling. God's face is turning. 
slowly, but I believe it's turning. He's watching someone with racist inclinations in his heart who planned to go to a community that is predominantly black and planned to go on a day where people who are low income had received their benefits. So he knew lots of people would be shopping, particularly elderly people, and planned to murder them in cold blood. And God is saying, I can't watch this. Because we created a religion where we're not concerned whether or not we disappoint God. And I think part of this problem, and let's be honest, part of our problem is we've been worshiping these idols that we've built that says we don't really have to do the stuff that Jesus told us. And I don't have to do with stuff that Jesus told us, and I can still call myself a Christian. And that was the same phony faith that Moses was singing about. The same phony faith that we practice that has taught us that we can be good people without actually having to be good to people. God turns his face on this type of faith. Not because God hates us, but because a practice of faith that has no concern for how we disappoint God is a faith that hurts God to his core. How are we in a relationship and you don't care how you hurt me? He says, I can't bear to watch. I can't watch these evil things take place. I can't watch these racist things take place. And you think that I'm still smiling? We've changed the stakes from how God feels about us and how God can be disappointed by us. And the only thing that's at stake in our current version of Christianity is how disappointing God is to us. But this is a relationship. We've got to face it. If God's not facing us, then we've got to face the stuff that we, we need to deal with. There's two things I traveled. I just got back this morning, and most of y'all know this, and I'm about to wrap up, but most of y'all know this because I've been very open about being diagnosed autistic in 2014. But one of the things that you don't know is that because of sensory processing, like, I travel a lot, but it's, it's, it's a thing. <laughs> so, so there's two things that comfort me when I travel because the airport is busy and it's just noisy. There's two things over the year that have helped me to navigate. There's two things, really. Delta. <laughs> I trust Delta. This is, it, is, it is ATL as it gets. This, this is Delta. I trust them with my life. <laughs> so when people want to fly me in, I tell them I don't fly nothing but Delta. <laughs> but the other thing, and really the reason why I like to fly Delta, is the other thing that gives me comfort is direct flights. Why are you saying that? One of the problems I have is how we tend to add the adjective of extreme to any form of, di of discrimination. So what you hear is it, he was an extremist. There's no such thing as extremist racism. It's just racism. In other words, there are no direct flights to what we've labeled as extremists. 
There are multiple layovers. There are many routes to getting to the place that he got. You don't just wake up and decide that you hate those who God has created in his image. There's not a direct flight to that type of evilness. There are multiple stops. And what God says to the people of Israel is, I see where this is going. Moses teaching this song because the way that they're going, they're going to end up doing some stuff that they're going to regret. And I need them to know this didn't just happen overnight. Did you catch what he says? He's telling him to teach this song before some of the worst things that they did to God happened because God saw it coming. You know why I'm saying this? It's because the route to that kind of hatred and wickedness is never direct. There's no missteps. The route runs straight through, watch me, the subtle ways that we silently discriminate against others in our heads and our hearts. And we label it extreme because it makes us feel better about the subtle versions of racism that we participate in. I can't change what he did. We pray for the families. But what I can do is call us into account, each and every one of us, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, is a saying there was no direct flight to get to the person that he was. It passed through every single wicked thought that each one of us also have when we look at someone else that's different from us and judge them. And like Israel, with each ungodly thought, we erect false gods right in front of God's face. We are creating a new Christianity that doesn't reflect anything that Jesus taught us to do. We created idols out of our politics, and we think God is smiling. We created idols out of the love for our nation. We think God is still smiling. We created idols out of our racial identities, identities that God gave us. Yet, somehow that's become what's more at stake than trying to live in a way where we try our best not to disappoint God. We do all of this right in front of his face. God is saying, I can't bear to watch anymore. Can't watch it. I can't watch y'all continue to fight over your politics and your talking points. I can't keep watching you making idols out of your racial identity. I can't keep watching you making idols out of nationalism. I can't watch anymore. I'm turning my face. We created a false religion that says we can claim to be the people of God and not have to care what God thinks about what we're doing. God says, I can't watch. Can I leave us with this? We, we have to not only care about disobeying Jesus, we also need to care about disappointing him. 
until we return to a faith that craves God's face, God's favor and God's blessing, until we return to a relationship with God where we desperately want to live a life where we make God smile at best, but at worst, I don't want to do anything that disappoints him. We got to want God to smile on us. We got to want him to turn his face to us. That means that we cannot stand for the sin of racism. God is not smiling. We can't stand for any form of religion that cuts down the sanctity of God's creation. God is not smiling. We got to return to a relationship with God that says, you know what, if this hurts God, probably something that I need to wrestle with and repent. Because there's no direct flight to becoming that hateful. He took the same route that many of us are taking, and we like to label it extreme because it makes us more comfortable with the stuff that we do in here. Because I can't be racist if I'm not that. No. You can. I can. God's not smiling. I want to leave you with this. What if we made what's at stake not how much we can complain about how God disappoints us like the children of Israel? What if we made the thing that's at the stake most is I don't want to live a life where I disappoint God to the extent that he can't even watch anymore. I think that's a far better way to practice our faith than to create false idols that say, I can do whatever I want because I don't care if it disappoints God. I'm going to repent. I can't repent for you. But I can repent for myself for all the ways that I've thought things about people that was not of God. Because it only leads to the place that we try to measure ourselves up against by saying we're not that. And this is why God says, teach this song to them now, because I see where this is going. And when it gets there, I want them to remember I said, I told you in the beginning to repent. You started to create a false religion that says we don't have to care what God thinks. I'm inviting us to place God back at the center of our faith and to place what really matters back in the center, that I don't earn my salvation, but I sure as heck don't want to do something that's going to cause God to turn his face on. Hey, thank you for listening to this bonus episode of the Autism Pastor Podcast. I want you to do me a huge favor wherever you listen to this podcast. Make sure that you hit the subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. And then also leave a positive review wherever you listen to this podcast. And then lastly, make sure that you share this podcast with a friend. Until next time, thanks for joining me on the Autism Pastor Podcast.